Today in the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, in your week in IndyCar guest episode, we have the guestiest of guests, one of my favorites, one of your favorites, the mighty Lee Diffie. How are you doing, my brother? Hi, mate. <laughs> I'm doing well. Doing well, although we had 15 inches of snow here last night, so uh, that's always, uh, for as long as I've lived in, in Connecticut and in the Northeast, that I don't think for a kid from Queensland I ever get used to it, especially that much in one in one dump. But other than that, doing great. You didn't grow up in uh, snow snow ridden QR. Okay, well, <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. It does on occasion snow in certain parts of Queensland, but not many and not often. So uh, no, I would I, um, have never known. It's not part of my upbringing. We got great questions. None of them about snow and you growing up. <laughs> so we covered that off right away. Let's say thank you as always to Cooper Tires. So happy to say. They're going to be back next year yet again. They are our first sponsor and our most enduring sponsor. Justice Brothers for sure. The wacky folks at TorontoMotorsports.com. I believe there's a Lee Diffie sticker or two on there folks can buy. Uh, and also our pals at Bell Racing Helmets USA. Let's get going with some questions here, Lee. I know uh, it's getting into the evening there on your side of the country and there are probably a couple bottles of something that'll warm your belly staring at you. So let's uh, let's get rocking and rolling here. Say our pal Duncan Idaho 11, you're going to lead us off. He says, Lee, is there something that uh, NBC has maybe exper- experimented with in the broadcasts um, that you'd like to see stick around? And more talking about, hey, it's been a crazy COVID year. Had to jump right into a lot of broadcasts. Haven't been able to do all the normal treatments we would in a regular year. Anything that you recall NBC has done differently this year that you'd like to see stick around? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Well, the first thing that jumps to mind, it's not an experiment, and I wouldn't like to see it stick around, is as, as challenging as it's been for our pit reporters because of COVID and having to stay back. You know, so everybody's wearing a mask, which you must do. Uh, and then you've got the the big boom mics. That's been very difficult. So I can't wait until the world's healthy so we don't have to do that anymore because that's been tough on our pit reporters and um, uh, it was an experiment and the experiment's working, but I know I can speak on behalf of our pit reporters and probably the drivers as well and, you know, strategists, team owners, engineers, whomever's being interviewed, that's been a tough one. So um, that's an experiment that's worked, but hopefully, you know, when, it, when everybody's healthy, we can return to normal on that one. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's not an experiment per se that I would say that we've tried and I'd really like to see it stick around other than I think this year, because, again, because of COVID, it's made us just be more adaptable and more creative. And, and it's, it's not just us from the broadcast side of things. It's just everybody, everybody within our industry on the TV side, the team ownership side, the engineering side, the drivers, you know, we've all become reliant on Zoom or, or whatever whatever communication software uh, that we've needed to be. Um, we've all uh, decided that, you know, it's okay. Uh, everything doesn't have to be super shiny and um, in, a, in a sparkling studio, um, you know, from the six o'clock news programs to whether it be sport to whatever, we, we all understand that people can operate from home now uh, and in different capacities. So that has been interesting. Um, I'm still a little bit of a traditionalist and I'm a fan of, you know, seeing people at venues on site and in studios uh, as opposed to Zoom broadcasts. But, hey, at the moment we have to do what we have to do. So it's kind of a survival of uh, necessity. <laughs> we, we have to do what we do. Just a couple of week again, uh, weekends ago I hosted... Uh, two days of rugby on NBCSN uh, on Zoom from home, you know, because we had to, just the way the studio schedule was and COVID reasons. And, and so we um, we are doing what we have to do. From the, to answer, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but uh, to your question, but with a twist on it, not necessarily on the broadcast side of things, more on the competition side, I think whether it be um, IndyCar, NASCAR, um, you know, a variety of sports, um, we've learned that we don't necessarily have to grind around day after day of endless practice sessions qualifying before race day. Uh, I think that the, I think COVID, uh, the, this 2020 
year has taught us that we can be a little bit more uh, streamlined and efficient um, in terms of days on the ground and, and how we conduct a, an overall race weekend. Um, I think that, uh, particularly on the NASCAR side of things, um, IndyCar has certainly, you know, we, we, that was less of a new um, kind of circumstance for us on the IndyCar side of things to have abbreviated race weekends, but certainly NASCAR to turn up and, and, um, and race not a super big fan of that. I believe you have to qualify first, but I think we've all learnt that you can be a little more streamlined and efficient and still have a still have a good race result. You just threw out an idea or something that led to an idea, talking about Zoom, things that aren't normal or traditional. Well, now that we have the aero screen, couldn't we come up with some way to pr- put a little projector on top of the tub that projects some form of Zoom screen? So you could kind of interview the drivers while they're talking. I mean, hey, or while they're driving. I mean, we got options here. All right, they're bad options. Disregard that one. Uh, let's see where are we going next. We're going to go to Reese, who says, "Lee, how excited are you to a see Jimmy Johnson coming to IndyCar and b Tony Kanon back at Chip Ganassi with a great shot at getting another Indy 500 win." Yes, I'm very excited about both of those. Um, two great points. Um, you know, Marshall, uh, you did as I did and so many people did when we spoke with Tony Kanaan on numerous occasions this year. Um, a, he didn't get the farewell, you know, um, what was it, TK one last, last ride, lap, one yeah. last time, yeah, last lap. You know, he didn't get the last lap that he um, absolutely 100% deserves uh, nor wanted. And so even when he came into the NBC broadcast booth with Towns and Bell and myself, I think it was on the Harvest GP weekend, uh, he came in just for, what, for one of the practice sessions. And, you know, we could, we could hear it in his voice, we could see it in his eyes that, you know, it was definitely not going to be the last time he was going to race a car just the way that he was. You could tell he had a little smirk on his face. And, you know, Tony, for, his, for, for everything he's achieved... You know, of course, it's easy to say champion and Indy 500 winner, but for the way that he has been such a, a, um, a, a an amazing ambassador for the sport of IndyCar, for the sport of motor racing, you know, he deserves that big farewell, and, and especially how popular he is with the with the fan base. So, yep, super excited to see TK uh, going to be back and back with Ganassi, and then for um, you know for Jimmy Johnson, I just think uh, I was just telling somebody the other day have a very vivid memory of Jimmy uh, in the Indianapolis Motor Speedway paddock. Uh, I think that was also at the Harvest Grand Prix weekend uh, where he was just, you know, in a pair of blue jeans and a casual shirt and just kicking back, hanging around, talking, you know, talking to Tony Kanaan and some, some of the, some of the folks in the paddock. And we were just all having a laugh. And, 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 you know, to me that, that for Jimmy, that's uh, his whole career and almost life gone full circle because now he's back, to the kid from Southern California who's racing for fun. And I don't want to be light-hearted about that and say it's not just for fun because obviously there's serious sponsorship involved, there's serious motivation involved, he's got goals that he wants to tick. But, you know, it's not that, you know, he's not going to the racetrack back in a, in a, um, in a NASCAR stock car uh, where the pressure's on as a seven-time champion. And, you know, why isn't Jimmy won in ages and why isn't he doing this? And, we, you know, all our eyes on Jimmy... He's going, to, he's going to do something that he's never done before and he's going to have some fun with it and he's going to go back to the Rolex 24 at Daytona, a race that he almost won a couple of times and have some fun with that. And for a guy who's done what he's done in NASCAR, he deserves to have the, 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 the pressure off a little bit. I'm sure he's going to put plenty on himself to do as well as he can. But, you know, just I, I think it's a phenomenal story that will be a feel-good factor for both of the, the, next, the next two years coming. You know, the other thing, too, as you mentioned, Tony joining in the booth there, folks think about IndyCar, the cars, the drivers, the teams as being competitively. Uh, Whenever Tony is done driving, I think there's going to be some pretty darn stiff competition uh, in terms of him being in the booth because uh, that was awesome. He was so good, such a natural, not a surprise. We know him, his personality outside the car, in the TV booth, wherever. It's the same. He was so good, though. I'm just saying. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of fans saying, hey, uh, we need to make sure that he is sitting alongside Lee uh, whenever Indy cars are on track and the rest of the crazy gang 
uh, you look after in the booth. And that's actually where we're heading for the next series of questions. Our pal JJ Gertler says, Lee is the lead commentator. You also wind up being a little bit of a referee. Can you talk about the differences between managing, say, Townsend Bell and Paul Tracy versus, say, back in the day a little bit with Steve Matchett and David Hobbs? Um, well, there's a lot of similarities. They're two very different personalities. <laughs> They're two very different personalities. Um, but it's, but you know, hey, um, I, I, I love, I love the position that I'm in because, um, you know, you're working with extremely talented, uh, charismatic, highly experienced people, and um, you know, I, I, I will answer that question in, in kind of a, a little bit of a different way. There was a, a British band of uh, kind of like a, an EDM electronic band uh, that I really enjoyed their music over the past 10, 20 years um, called Groove Armada. And, uh, and, and Groove Armada had a, uh, had a track and the, some of the lyrics to the, to the track said, if everybody looked the same, we'd be tired of looking at each other. And, and what I mean by that is, is you know, you have to have different personalities and different characters in a team. So I'm me, I do what I do, and I have a role. Townsend is not me, I'm not Townsend, he has a role, and he brings his, his uh, um, uh, perspective and experience to the table. And then there's Paul. Paul's not Townsend, Paul's not me, and we're not him, and he brings the PT you know, delivery. And it's, it was the same at, in Formula One. You know, There's Steve, David, and myself, three different age groups, um, three different upbringings, three different stories, uh, and then you know Will Buxton in the mix. You know we were we were kind of all you know different ages, uh, different backgrounds, and we all you you've got to bring something different to the table. You know Al Michaels isn't Chris Collinsworth. Chris Collinsworth isn't Al Michaels. So you have to have that point of difference in the booth, and it's great. And uh, for me, you know I have to walk a not even a tightrope. It's not that that would be painting the wrong picture. I I I love both of them like brothers, and um, you know, uh, at times we have our differences, but we but we all come together and galvanise for the the, better, the betterment of the broadcast. And um, those two guys, they uh, they uh, respectfully disagree. Like you know, even off the air when we're just the three of us are shooting the breeze in the booth, and be like, "Oh, come off it, Paul." And he's like, "What are you talking about?" You know, but they they love it. They actually love kind of uh, disagreeing but not as part of the show that's ha- how they are and there's no malice in it they all three of us get on i was just i was uh, must have had about 20 text exchanges with paul today we were talking about a bunch of different stuff it was his, it's his birthday today and and uh, i was texting i was on a zoom call earlier with townsend so the three of us talk on a regular basis um and you know i have i have always had a um a mantra uh, and an operating belief that no matter what I'm doing, if I'm doing like this weekend, I'm doing rugby. Uh, last weekend I did rugby and you know, whatever I'm doing, if I'm at the Olympics, if I'm doing IndyCar or, or whatever it might be, who, who, you know, for all the different teams I, I work with, you have to get on as individuals and teammates off the air to get on on the air. So I know that in, you know, whether it be news broadcasts or sporting broadcasts, that there, there are people on television who, can't stand each other and they don't get on well to me i think i can identify that who they are because it's very difficult to disguise that so we we are very fortunate to have a team that you know we all get on do we all agree all the time no of course we don't and we all have different styles and we all bring different things to the table but um it's uh it's i, I answer that question with i it's fun being me i, I like it because i have to kind of be the tiger tamer sometimes like at the circus, you know, I've got, I'm, I've got the, the, the little white chair and the, and the, and the whip. <laughs> <laughs> you need a bigger chair and a bigger whip. Uh, no, no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, let's see, here we go. We're just trying to, we're trying to create division and hatred on the show here. Courtesy of the man we love named Lance Snyder, nickname him my minister of mirth on the show. It says Lee, you're trapped on an Island. And you have to have either Paul Tracy or Townsend Bell on it. Who would you pick and why? I think I know the answer. And it's not like a, well, it's not a personality thing, but uh, who are you going with? I know who I'd pick for you. Um, 
So can I twist that a little bit and have two answers? Oh, come on, Diffy. <laughs> Take a position. <laughs> well, it depends on what you're in the mood for. So if, if, if I pick Townsend, I know that there's going to be, you know, like there's going to be some flash boat turn up Ooh. and there's going to be, you know, you know, every, there'll, there'll be there'll be jet skis and there'll be trick boats and there'll be we'll fly into that island on a helicopter and whatever and and it'll be a, a day on a sleek boat or whatever and if I pick PT it's going to be um, probably the biggest party that you'll remember for the rest of your life so it, I guess you can pick whichever you're in the mood for. If you were trapped on an island as as oh, land, yes, on an island. yeah, trapped good lord. So if you pick Townsend Bell, you're going to look great, smell great, die soon. I mean, there, there's just there's nothing else there. Um, you pick PT. That guy's going to be out punching whales, punching fish. You name it. That guy is going to go out and just take a lot of food out of the ocean. Make sure you're taken care of. PT's a survivor. Townie, but love him. But then I'm going to have to take care of him because he doesn't like the sun. I don't even want to delve into how we would answer so he's that. Gonna to, he's going to have to. He's got such light skin, and yeah. he's, he's very. He does not handle well. Like when we're in the middle of summer, when we're getting ready to go out on the grid uh, to do the pre-race show, he he is ducking and diving for cover, which is great. Hey, growing up in Australia, I know how how serious skin damage is and, and skin cancer and you know my mom and my my brother-in-law and i mean everybody in my family has been affected almost uh and so yeah he he is he usually we're near we're near a a, a penske um a pit box and paul is diving under there to get in the shade or there's an umbrella or something so he doesn't like the sun so if he's going to do all of that fishing and whale hunting and everything else you're talking about he'll have to do it very effectively and quickly because he doesn't he doesn't like being out under the uh the big golden glow i think townie's just surfing the whole time not really paying attention that you do actually need food and sustenance and shelter so uh but hey he's pretty and you'll look good as long (laughs) as you last that's a great question oh it is that is a very good question i'll ask the boys that one next time we talk I'll say, uh, who, who do you want to be trapped? They'll, they'll both just kick me to the curb. They'll say that they'll, they'll, they would they would take each other. Next rain delay when you're having to vamp and just fill time. I, th- I think we got a question you can bust out that's yeah, going to yeah, entertain yeah, that people. Works. That, works. that um, works. Let's see. Kevin Frederico says, Lee, you've been a part of a lot of great broadcast teams over the years. Can you share some of the favorite ones? And he also says, doesn't have to be motorsports, knowing that you've worked in a wide range of sports. Uh, sure. Well, how about we start with a non-motorsport one um, um, on on track and field. When I commentate track and field, I get to work alongside you know Olympic legends Atto Bolden and Sonia Richards Ross. Um, it's amazing. It, it's it's very similar to the motorsport arena when you know like being around PT and Townsend or, or whoever whoever I've worked with on the motorsport front. When you go out uh, with in the stand at the at the track and field events. Um, it's not only the track and field fans that are lining up to get Sonia and Addo's autographs and pictures. It's other broadcasters. Like when we were in Doha in Qatar at the World Championships last year, you know, other broadcasters from other countries were coming to our broadcast booth asking to have pictures with Addo and Sonia. So it's pretty cool hanging with those guys. Um, uh, Across the spectrum of of my career, you know, when I was a a young guy in Australia in the late 1990s, I got to work alongside Barry Sheen, two-time motorcycle world champion, 500cc motorcycle world champion. Barry was a huge uh, influence on my early career and helped me get um, uh, established at the BBC in the UK. So working with Barry and and the commentary team back in those days was on V8 supercars was myself, Barry Sheen and Mark Osler which was Malcolm Osler's little brother. Oh, wow. Malcolm was the, the Reynard designer and, and uh, went to BAR Formula One and was a big, uh, you know, big figure in open wheel racing. You know, walk, worked right along with Adrian Reynard for many, many years. And uh, so, yeah, so I worked with Malcolm's little brother, Mark, and Mark was a very established journalist and broadcaster in Australia. And so that was really cool for me. And that was, that was my first big, big job in Australian television. So working alongside those two guys was, was very cool. Um, uh, Steve Parrish, I called World Superbikes with, and you know all the years at, at Speed Channel, the, the the variety of people, you know, working with uh, Bob Varsha and David Hobbs and Calvin Fish and Steve Matchett, and you know just 
goes on. And uh, when I've had the opportunity to do NASCAR, I love working alongside Dale Jarrett and all of our NASCAR and NBC folks, Kyle Petty. And yeah, I mean, it's just been a, it's been a, a, um, a, a crazy run, been a crazy ride. It's been so enjoyable, so enjoyable. And I have not ever taken that for granted. I, um, I appreciate the question and, and uh, very, very much am cognizant of the fact of who I've had the fortune of working alongside. Let's go to Mark Graham, who asks, uh, hey, look into 2021 IndyCar and NBC broadcast team. Any hints what it might look like or if it might look any different than the cast of characters uh, he and others have come to enjoy in the booth and on pit lane, etc. So, no, it's not your place to announce these things, but he's curious if it might look similar to what we've had in recent years. Yeah, I don't think I, I'm, I'm certainly not aware of any major changes. So I would say, uh, even at this stage, I would just say, you know, expect more of the same, which is great. Stability in the team is always so important. Um, as for changes, yeah, we're always trying to, um, you know, right, right from our, our top executives, um, you know, the message is very simple. It's always be, be great, be better, try and be better. So we're always looking at ways of improving. So, um, you know, I don't have any uh, lightning rods or lightning bolts of, of info to share with you right now about point, points of difference. But Should we tell them the we, whole season is going to be in black and white or save that? Yeah, yeah. whole season is going to be on Zoom. Hey. No, um, uh, <laughs> no uh, we, look, we're always trying. And, and the great thing about our group is and our leadership group is that they're always open to um, – uh, suggestions, opinions, ideas. Well, what do you guys think? What can we do? What can we change? Is it within the budget structure? Um, you know, talking to the teams. Uh, you know, uh, Roger Penske and and uh, and Penske Entertainment Group. They have their thoughts and and opinions. And again, has to work within a budget structure. So, I mean, nobody's ever uh, sitting on their hands or, or sitting back with their arms folded, saying, "Oh, this is you know, we've we've reached the pinnacle. This is the best." You know, there's no room for improvement. We're always trying to be better. And we're trying to be better for you guys, for the, for the viewing audience. You know, we're trying to be better for the sport and we're trying to be better for the viewing audience and um, never just sitting back and, you know, giving ourselves a pat on the back. Not That's not the case whatsoever. Let's go to a couple closing questions on the general theme here. One from Gary Chin. Leave done any car long enough. You're very familiar with teams and drivers and whatnot. What about when it comes to preparing for, say, the Winter Olympics? How much is involved in calling bobsledding, luge, and whatnot when it's not on TV that often to study up on in advance? Yeah, a lot, a lot, a lot of um, a lot of homework, um, and because it's not something that I, um, you know, uh, on those on those particular sports. They, I, I did in years gone by, I would do more in the winter, like let's say about now, like this time of the year, um, in a non, <laughs> we should say PC, right, pre-COVID. Um, you know, I would do uh, the US rounds of the World Cup or sometimes I would call the Canadian rounds of the World Cup either in luge or, or do some bobsled stuff or whatever um, uh, to, just to keep on that in between Olympic cycles or winter Olympic cycles. Um, that hasn't happened in the last couple of years just, just because of other schedule conflicts. So, you know, I'd say big picture-wise, when I do get to touch those sports, it's, it's you know, uh, every four years in the winter cycle. Obviously, every two years there's the, you know, the summer games in between. But, um, yeah, a lot of work, um, a lot of, you know, personal work, like private work at home uh, in my home office doing doing work. But then also NBC, the NBC Olympic division and department is just like this behemoth. It's incredible. Uh, and the, the Olympic research department is just phenomenal. And so um, they, uh, they don't throw us to the wolves. They make sure that we are uh, certainly provided with as much as we can consume. And then it's up to the individual to take in that, to ingest that, that information that we get either by our relationships with athletes, our own research, accompanied with the NBC Olympics research and then you have to you have to kind of dissect it and then in the moment figure out what you want to use what's appropriate to use and um, it's just those particular sports that you highlighted in your question um, are so so challenging because you know say for instance next month I'm going to be part of the team doing the Rolex 24 at Daytona you're calling a 24-hour sports car race 
where your storytelling and commentary is very long form, uh, you know, you're going to call the action when there's some cool passes or whatever, but your storytelling is very long form. Go to the Winter Olympics, and I've done two. It's, you know, one at Sochi, one in uh, Pyeongchang. Uh, next one's coming up uh, in 2022 in Beijing. And, um, you know, a, a luge race or a bobsled race lasts 38 seconds. And uh, you've, got a, you, you, you've got a commentary partner, so you've got to share the commentary duty. You've got to set, set it up. You've got to call the action, and you've got to story tell and share the call all within 38 seconds. <laughs> so it takes it takes a lot, you know. And when I first did it in in Russia in 2014, it was like whew, I had to get, you know, it took a little while to get my head around it. Um, but it's great because it's a different form, and you get out of your comfort zone from from doing an IndyCar race or a Formula One race or a or, or a sports car, an IMSA sports car race, whatever it might be. Um, it, it's it's always really really good to get out of your comfort zone because it helps you grow. It makes you. It makes you be more diverse and it, it puts you on your toes and makes you uh, react in a faster, sharper way almost because you, you know that it's not your regular sand pit, so you've got to be better. Mm. going to close this thread with our pal Jeremiah Morell from the fine state of Indiana who asks, what sport pushed your comfort zone the most to broadcast, Lee? says, obviously, the Olympics were massive, but is there anything else? It was really out of left field and pushed you out of that comfort zone. Um, <laughs> uh, Don't say Grand Am. Don't say Grand Am. That'd be funny. No, though, no, 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 no. I got, I got some, I got some good ones over the years. Um, uh, there was, uh, I did, I did, a, I did several years of the Wheatbix World's Strongest Man. What? <laughs> <laughs> With competitors like Magnus Vermagnuson from Iceland, uh, that was uh, that was one that just popped into my head. I did some sailing in Australia, uh, not America's Cup, but one of the world's largest uh, offshore races called the Sydney to Hobart. I did that. I've done some. Um, I did some kickboxing commentary once. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, you know. I've done, I've had the fortune of doing a lot of different sports. Motorsport is obviously the main thread, and then so when you pivot and get out of your comfort zone, um, you, at the Rio Olympics I did rowing and I did the flat water sports, so canoe and kayak, and um, you know that definitely that was a you know they're races, so you know for yeah. me being a race caller, a race has a you know a beginning, a middle, and an end, but those those races were very different i have i I have found it a lot more comfortable and um uh, more natural transitioning to uh, track and field or bobsled skeleton and luge um as opposed to the to the to rowing or canoe and kayak that one that one probably got me out of my comfort zone a little a little more that was that was pretty challenging wow you're just you're the uh the aussie army knife We'll throw you into whatever. You'll figure it out. I love it. Uh, hey, our pal JJ Gartler says, Mr. Diffie, what would you recommend for young people interested in becoming sports commentators, especially especially in racing? Are there experiences or credentials they should accumulate for taking a run at making a living there? Oh, you had to throw in the making a living part. Do you earn money for this, by the way, Lee? <laughs> Yeah, it didn't start out that way. Not 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 much anyway. The Never does. Were pretty pretty humble beginnings, but that's that's what makes you um, that's what makes you hungry. I would I would uh, I would answer that by saying I'm excited for you if you would like to pursue a career in sports broadcasting because um, the that these days uh, one of your greatest friends is technology and so the software apps that are available and what have you. You know, most people are walking around with a with a phone in their pocket that has a voice memo app on it. You can, you know, do your own recordings and listen to yourself and practice as much as you like. Most people are walking around with a phone in their pocket that has a camera on it. You can record yourself speaking to the camera, set up your camera somewhere. Um, you know, for all of the various Zoom or, or StreamYard or whatever the, the apps that we've all been on 
you know, since March this year, looking at each other in each other's home offices or wherever we are, kitchens, dining rooms. You know, I've been blown away by uh, some people, even on like on the IndyCar press conferences and stuff, some of the microphones and at-home studios that people have got set up. So I would start by saying you've got some great tools at your disposal now that most people have in their everyday lives that would, would enable you to practice. Um, you know, when I was starting out, I didn't have that. I, and uh, I just started out with a microphone in my hand at a racetrack. Uh, at, a, at, a, at a flat track, dirt track, flat track motorcycle race, um, you know, not too far from my home and, and just jumped in the deep end and, and away I went from there. Um, my my mum reminds me that maybe this uh, career was meant to be, it was serendipitous because she, rec- she worked at the elementary school that I went to and she remembers uh, coming out of the administrative building and hearing my voice somehow and I was six years old in first grade, and she's thinking, what the bloody hell? How come I can hear my son's voice? And she walked around the corner, and there I was, like in this kind of grass forecourt area with all the other first graders, and I was emceeing the first grade pet show where kids brought their dogs and cats and budgerigars and whatever to school. So my mum my tends to think, even though it wasn't planned, that I was meant to be in the career that I'm meant to be in. So, um, But, uh, yeah, just... Keep your ears and your eyes open. Be be open to any any opportunity. Act on that opportunity. Uh, practice. You know, uh, pick a sport that you love and have passion. Because if you have the passion, I mean, just look at just look at Marshall. Um, his his experience within a sport he loves, and then he pivoted and turned it into what he's done now with millions of downloads and his podcast and his his journalism work and and uh, and you know I I. I'm led to believe I might be talking out of school here, Marshall, that you, like me, don't have any formal training in this industry, but the centerpiece of, of our careers is passion. Passion in a sport that you love, passion in something that you love. It doesn't have to be, you know, if you want to do sports commentary or sports broadcasting, that's great. You might want to do financial broadcasting or financial commentary or whatever it might be, but if passion's the centerpiece of, of your whole thing, well, then it's pretty hard to beat passion and enthusiasm, so... Just go for it. Have a go. As my as my late father used to say, have a go. With every word spoken into a microphone, JJ, or word typed into a keyboard, affirmation that I lack any and all training. Absolutely affirmed. So no question there. But uh, to Lee's point, this is something that he wanted to do, did, found that he was good at it. People said, hey, please do more of it then said, hey, would there be a chance to have you do even more and maybe we could even pay you? And here he is in America, an American citizen, beautiful family, flying all over the world on behalf of NBC Sports, calling everything from everything to everything. It's pretty darn cool. So I would just say of the things I've noticed, I've certainly seen a lot of Folks interested in racing, not sure exactly how to get into the broadcast side, JJ, but if you are a fan of Twitch or wherever you might find good iRaces or similar that are being streamed, I'm just finding more and more folks saying, hey, uh, I'll try and do commentary for a uh, virtual motor race. And guess what? Those are happening by the thousands every day. COVID, no COVID, doesn't matter. And so in theory, and this is, Lee, it's no different than what we have with simulators, right? Back when we grew up, if you wanted to gain experience as a race car driver, you had to strap into a real machine that that you could touch and go around a motor racing circuit. That's no longer the case. Obviously, that's a good thing if you can do that, but you can still train like mad Uh, and become an ace uh, virtual racer, and then hopefully apply that to the real world with iRacing and so many of the other forms of virtual racing, well, we now have the equivalent on the broadcasting side where if you want to try and hone your chops doing that, there's thousands of races every day where you can, in theory, do that, whether it's officially or just on your own at home. So... Tools, tools to grow and develop where, in theory, you don't have to wait on some big person to say, yes, 
you've got a job and do it at home. Hopefully become good at it. Let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit of, uh, of home, home cooking per se. David Zitterbart, Lee, so glad to have you back on the show. Let's take you back to your channel 10 days. Once again, says you may have heard that Mark Larkham been dropped from the supercars broadcast team. We'll also insert here quickly. Thanks to our mutual pal crusher and his speed cafe website and the 419 different damn email updates that they send out per day. Uh, been stayed on top of the Mark Larkham story and the potential of him maybe uh, being reinstalled. But nonetheless, he wants to know, wants to know your thoughts on what's happened there. Thinking back to your V8 days, Channel 10 days, um, obviously mentions I did so much, was also curious if you have a favorite Larco memory. So, that's a tough one, right? Someone who I think everyone universally says they're awesome. Then all of a sudden you're trying to figure out why aren't they continuing to be employed? Yeah, it's a, um, I would start that, uh, David, by saying, um, to your question and to your point, um, you know, there's always a lot more, um, to television decisions than meet the eye. Um, so, you know, you, there's, there's, you know, the, the people in power, they make their decisions based on a number of criteria, et cetera. You know, you or me or Marshall, we're not part of that, so we don't know, so I can't speak from experience. I can just speak from uh, working in the Australian television scene, knowing pretty much all of the people who work on the V8 broadcast. Um, a lot of them are very dear friends of mine. Uh, the guy who's the general manager of V8 Supercast Television, I've known since he was a, virtually a teenager, um, and I've known a lot of people. I've only met Sean Seymour, the CEO uh, of Supercars, uh, once. Uh, seemed, seemed to be a very nice gentleman. So, you know, I don't know what their decision-making uh, criteria was, etc. The only thing I would say is that around the world, in any category that you want to talk about, including Formula One uh, on Sky and their enormous budget, and, you know, they have Anthony Davidson and, and uh, whoever else, um, you know, uh, on, on their on their special touch screens, etc. You won't come across somebody who can uh, explain pit strategy and um, you know team methodology and you know what 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 the team manager's thinking, what the driver's thinking. Why did they come in? Why did they pit on this lap? What does it mean to tire degradation? How is the fuel load being managed? You you know all of the intricacies of a very complex sport you won't meet too many people around the world in in any category that can break it down for people to understand, which is so much more difficult than you would imagine, and uh, than Mark Larkham. So Larko's whiteboard and the way that he can convey the message of a very complex thing such as endurance racing with multiple drivers or, or whatever the situation might be at the endurance races in V8 supercars or in their sprint mode races. I mean... You know, he was, a, he was a driver first and foremost, then he was a team owner, then he became a broadcaster. So tick, 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 check those three boxes. You know, so he's ahead of the game already, having done all of that. And then, um, and then he's just a, he's a terrific communicator and add to that, he's a character and he's loved. So, you know, it's certain if I was in a position of power, that wouldn't have been a decision that I would make to get rid of him. And I believe that they're considering reinstating him, which is would be the right thing to do. And I would, I would challenge, I would challenge anybody to say, who are you going to put in that position who's better? Because if you don't have somebody who's better, then it's the wrong decision. And I don't know who's better at that. Hmm. Just want to throw in here quickly. Not a joke, truly. While we were speaking on this topic specifically. Uh, received an email from Speed Cafe. Book in now with Tire Plus for your free tire safety check. Uh, Crusher, I hope you're just <laughs> raking in the dough, brother. My inbox suggests that you are. Uh, let's see. Nick Reed says, hey, Lee, in your early days, you called a certain race at Paul Morris' house. Got any good stories? Also, how important were guys like Greg Raymond, uh, Mike Raymond, Greg Rust, Mark Osler, and Barry Sheen when you were starting out? No, you mentioned some of them already, but... Uh, Boy, seems like you just had the ultimate cast around you to help uplift you. Um, very, very, very much so. And, and um, you know, a lot of that uh, came about through 
uh, good fortune. You know, just growing up, growing up at the right time and in, in, and in the right place. Uh, you know, I'm a working class kid. Grew up in the southwestern suburbs of Brisbane, and uh, just happened happened to be that. Uh, you know, in my in the little suburb that I grew up in, you know, we were known as the the motorcycle racing family. And um, my best mate in life since I was five years old, uh, a guy called Daryl Beatty, um, he won a motorcycle off a television variety show, like off a kid's breakfast show. And his mum was my preschool teacher. And then, you know, we were family friends. My sister was in his sister's class, blah, blah, blah. Small town, small suburb story. But when they won the motorcycle, he was terrorising around the neighbourhood and through the woods and, you know, through the local industrial uh, park and his dad's like, oh, he's going to get in trouble with the cops. We've got to get him to a, a, a to race, to, like, mm. to go to a track. And they knew that uh, the Diffies were the motorcycle family. So Daryl, uh, he came to our motorcycle club and raced. And, you know, through the progress of Daryl's uh, racing career, when he then went on to MotoGP, almost was MotoGP world champion. You know, he and Mick Doohan were one and two in the world in the mid-1990s. And um, through Daryl, I met a lot of people. Uh, including Paul Morris. And um, when I was, you know, I taught school for a couple of years and then I pursued my commentary career as that was growing from public address to, you know, volunteering when Daryl and Mick were racing on the, you know, 500cc motorcycle world championship, which is now MotoGP. I was a school teacher and um, I uh, I rang the the local, which was the biggest uh, FM radio station in Brisbane called Triple M, I just cold called them one day and said, hi, I'm a nobody, but um, I'm good friends with Mick Doohan and Daryl Beatty and I stay up late at night and I watch the Grand Prix. Um, I don't want any money, but if I write a brief script, you tell me how long the script is. Is it 30 seconds, 20 seconds? I can write a quick script on the Grand Prix the night before and I'll phone it in in the morning and all I ask is that you mention my name on the radio. And they did it. So I'd, I'd call in at 6 in the morning and file this phone report and I'd be on my way to go and teach kids physical education at, at school and I'd hear my, my radio report on the way to school so that was quite funny but yeah Paul Morris uh, was huge um, uh, Mike Raymond I didn't uh, I didn't get ever to get to work with Mike on television because he was uh, the head of sport and, and obviously the lead announcer uh, for touring cars and Bathurst etc on channel 7 so it was a rival channel but I got to become good friends with Mike through a really dear friend and a mentor of mine called Phil Christensen, who was the the, the the king of Supercross in Australia. And Mike was a really dear old friend of his. So Mike and I used to call Supercross races in Australia on the PA. Wow. Uh, you know, the Sydney Entertainment Centre and the Parramatta Raceway where Tony Stewart's raced and a bunch of American sprint car drivers have raced. And, yeah, so I got to work with Mike, you know, shoulder to shoulder on PA or I... Sometimes I'd go down on the track and do the do the uh, tabletop finish line interviews. Sometimes Mike would go down there, and yeah, so we we got to work together a lot. And um, but yeah, Mark Osler and Barry Sheen and Bill Woods and you know so many people uh, helped me a lot in in those early Channel Ten days, which were so much fun. Couple quick ones to uh, rattle through, Lee, and then we are going to bid farewell. Uh, AJ asks. Have you ever caught yourself rooting for someone during a, uh, a race call? And if so, do you remember who it was and what race? Huh? Impartiality, right? And you, you, we never have a favorites, right? We're neutral. Well, yes, yes and no. Yes to that question. Certainly in my television days, you can't, you can't do that. But um, for sure, I was, you know, I just mentioned my, my lifelong friend, Daryl Beatty, when, I got to call him in an Australian 500cc Grand Prix and I was doing PA, I was doing public address at what was then called Eastern Creek Raceway, mm. now it's called Sydney Motorsports Park and uh, yeah, for sure, I, I, I couldn't help myself, you know, we've been friends since we were five years old and, and to call him uh, at, a, at an Australian Motorcycle Grand Prix was, was unreal, so I was totally one-eyed in that call but that was before my TV days, but on television... Um, you just can't. You can't because I, I think people can pick it when they think have have a favourite. It used to make me laugh during the F1 days on NBC when you know people would people would write to Steve and David and Will and myself and say, "Would you guys stop talking about Lewis Hamilton? All you talk about is Lewis Hamilton. You're such Mercedes fans." <laughs> and the next week it would be, "Would you guys stop talking about Ferrari? You're such one-eyed Ferrari fans." It's like, wow, I wonder which one we are this week. Maybe this week we're going to be Red Bull fans. I don't know. That made me laugh, but. 
No, definitely throughout my uh, TV career, I haven't found myself doing that. You got to, you just can't, you can't allow yourself to go down that road. Um, you know, we we do have to let ourselves through a creative passage go down a road of hey, if he won, wouldn't this be a good story? Because or if she won, wouldn't this be a great story? Because but you can't let yourself go down the road of you know I want this person to win and you know as simple as that because. I think I think if you did, um, people viewers would be able to tell very easily. You mentioned the the great aspect to that, Lee. Of of course, you have to be impartial while performing your job. Doesn't mean you aren't closer friends with maybe driver A than driver B. I mean, again, those are normal things. You're not necessarily uh, an owner of impartial relationships away from your professional career. That's not that wouldn't be normal. But in doing your job, you have to think of the human aspects of each individual you might be covering. So if it's Joseph Newgarden on the cusp of a championship, well, you're going to try and inject something that you know about him, something that's personal, something that might be construed as, oh, see, he's a secret Newgarden fan. No, this is trying to bring something beyond just a colorless flavorless words or thoughts and try and bring you something that's a little deeper and more connected to the person that you're rightly uh, discussing who could be, you know, on the cusp of something significant or name the other driver. Uh, that's the thing that I appreciate for you and uh, those in the booth and on pit lane as well, to be able to bring things where you go, cool, that is additive. You have enriched the broadcast by going one or two or three layers deeper on driver A, B, or C doesn't mean that you're secretly rooting when so-and-so passes the other person or whatever else. But, uh, yeah, it is funny how you still get folks firing shots. I'll I'll tell you something, Marshall, that that, that has been really interesting for me to observe, uh, which I think is um, they don't have to do it. Nobody's asking them to do it. They do it for the love of the sport. And they do it for the excitement of a young driver, um, and I'm not going to name names because there's because it's not one or two. It's 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 way more than that. Until you get up the ladder to the highly established drivers, you would be blown away the amount of times that I have witnessed phone calls from both Paul Tracy and Townsend Bell, especially to the younger, less experienced IndyCar drivers, and the advice that they offer them, whether they take it or not and especially at the Speedway. And I just think that that's remarkable from those two guys uh, to, to offer whatever they have to offer uh, to guys who have minimal experience in the NTT IndyCar series. And so people can think or say what they like about Paul and Townsend and make of it what they will from their TV persona, but as people and as racers, and as guys have had, you know, a bunch of experience and, you know, Paul's 31 victories and his championship and Townsend's uh, Lights championship and his 10 Indy 500 appearances and, you know, they, they've got a lot to offer and they have and they see things slightly different ways or they might agree on things. And there's, there's a, there, there are more drivers in the paddock who have actually had some really nice words of advice and encouragement from those two guys and, 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 um, they don't need to do that. That's not part of their job description, but they do it because of the love of the sport. It's being good members of the community. Uh, Jameen Tuttle says, a little bit counter to the positive stuff we are just discussing. Mr. Diffie, have you ever slipped up and expressed an unfiltered negative opinion about a driver during your career? And if so, were there any repercussions? I take myself back to PT. What did he do? He referred to Marco Andretti as something about an Uber driver. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know this is going to come as a surprise. Marco didn't really like that too much. Um, I can't think <laughs> of you uh, you pulling no. out the knife, but has it ever happened uh, back in the day? No, no, I've never never done that on air. Um, I, uh, I, 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 I never had too many positive experiences with Nico Rosberg. Uh, on the occasions when I had to interview him and come across him. Um, he was not a very user-friendly driver, I have to say, but that didn't that didn't bleed into my commentary or my opinion on the air, which, you know, I don't, as a play-by-play, that's not my place to have an opinion. That's for analysts. So, no, I haven't. In short, I haven't, I haven't ever um, 
<laughs> as Marshall's had got the knives out or, <laughs> or, uh, or uh, you know, um, thrown any drivers under the bus because of, because of uh, you know, negative experiences. Again, that's not my position, right? You know, I'm, I'm the, the play-by-play and usually the host of the broadcast and, 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 and we, we, you know, people in my position, we're not, that's, that's not, that's not our sandpit. That's not where we're meant to play. So, um, you know, you're going to, uh, across the, the spectrum of sport, you're going to naturally have uh, more in common with some athletes uh, than others. You're going to have uh, closer relationships with some athletes than others. But again, you, um, you know, you, 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 you can't let that seep into your, that's not part of your job description, right? You can't, you can't let your own personal feelings or, or negative experiences or anything get in, get in the way because you're paid to do a job, tell a story, Make it entertaining, make it fun, make it informative, and I, I think that is a um, that that would you know detract from what we're asked to do. So um, don't get me wrong, there are some times you'd like to, <laughs> but, um, but but that's not that's not our that's that's not in our job description. The times you have to remind yourself this is a profession, profession indicating professional. Yes, no exactly. knives. We'll keep them sheathed. Uh, penultimate question here comes from our pal Steve Grinsteadly. He says, "Outside of racing, what do you do to relax? Do you golf? Do you cook?" He also says, "Happy holidays to you and your families, and I hope we have a safe and enjoyable 2021." Um, yeah, I do. I do like to golf. Um, I don't golf as much as I, I, I would like to, but um, uh, certainly on the IMSA side of things, myself and Calvin Fish and AJ Armendinger, we play golf quite a bit <laughs> together. When, when we can, um, uh, Cal, well, both Calvin and AJ are very good golfers. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself in their league, but, uh, but, um, I, I really enjoy to play. I broadcast golf for about five years. So golf's been a big part of my life. Um, and if I played more, I would be a lot better, but I'm not, you know, I'm not embarrassing, but I, I, I do enjoy it. Got to play, got to play Augusta national once after I did the masters, uh, back in 2008, so that was huge. So is that did, the one really, with the really windmill? Is that the one with the windmill at the, at the 18th <laughs> hole? I always try and get that yeah, one. Yeah, and the and the alligator jaws. No. See, um, so yeah, I do that. I'm, I have a um, I, I have a, a young family. I have two sons, and they are riding uh, not for racing purposes. I'm not I'm not going down that road. Uh, uh, but they they enjoy riding their dirt bikes. They have a couple of Honda Honda uh, dirt bikes, so they uh, they enjoy that. And um, just for me, being home is is good because I spend so much of my of my year travelling. So simply being home and whatever whatever home you know whatever that means being home, whether it's out in the yard with the boys, we kick a footy. We've got all types of footies. So we've got Aussie rules footballs, we've got rugby balls, we've got rugby league balls, we've got American footballs, we've got soccer balls, we've got... So kicking the footy or throwing the footy in the backyard is a big deal for us. Um, so, you know, just being home with my wife and boys and we, we're, we're movie buffs, we love watching movies and going for riding, we go for family bike rides and, you know, whatever. Just, you know, nothing, I know that's nothing... Uh, greatly exciting but for me for the amount of times um in a year that my bum's on an airplane or in a hotel just to be home is really good well i don't want to spoil christmas too much but me and a bunch of your friends all chipped in to get uh get the boys go-karts so uh we're uh, <laughs> we're getting you started they're willpower carts all right they're they're kicked in by our boy uh, dj willie p so yeah we're gonna ruin you here um scott mclaughlin scott mclaughlin just got a willpower cart so he's gone down that road no discount from what i heard too <laughs> oh yeah put the screws to him i saw a uh, video that power posted today of his son Bo, who apparently found the christmas presents uh in the uh-oh. closet uh-oh. yeah uh-oh. uh-oh yeah power thick we need to take his phone away although it, it is an endless source of amusement with the stuff that that boy posts um Ray Helmers is going to take us home with a final question from our listeners, Lee, for the year for you. And thanks so much to you, brother, for being. You've been a part of my show since I started it. So thank you again for always making time for us. Uh, Ray says, Lee, thanks for all the years of great broadcasting. Is there one real gobsmacking moment you've ever had while broadcasting live? 
and any whether it's positive or negative anything come to mind of a holy poop moment that you had to handle live on air um well uh yeah um many many negatives but let's keep that pos- let's keep it positive and i say that meaning negatives when drivers were course. injured or injured or worse which is the worst part of my job um and our job um so let's keep it positive uh um <laughs> usually it's usually the gobsmack gobsmack moments are usually when somebody uh drops some pretty colorful language uh and usually i'm i'm the i'm the mop and bucket squad that has to clean it up um uh, that's 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 in the job description of a play by play and host um uh the time at the at the uh IndyCar race at Barber Motorsports Park when we had a uh when we had a 2 hour thunderstorm delay and I got to um uh, I got to interview Joe Namath live on the air that was a that was a gobsmacked moment that wow. was that was awesome that was really cool and um Townsend and I had just come from the Honda hospitality area where we'd met Bo Jackson and uh, I mean, the guy—if you—if you put two of your hands together, that was the the size of his of one hand of his. Incredible, um, such a lovely gentleman. So we're going from meeting Bo Jackson and then going interviewing, you know, live on NBC, Joe Namath. That was pretty cool. Um, uh, I, I'm I, I did, I'm trying to trying to think while I talk to you. Um, the Olympic moments, you know, I never thought I'd go to Russia. I never thought I'd go to an Olympic Games, and to commentate my first Olympics in Russia was was pretty amazing and then to do Rio and then and then Pyeongchang and then I've got uh um you know Tokyo coming up next year and then Beijing the year after that but uh I think the biggest like right at the top of the mountain was to to call my first Indianapolis 500 last year that was that was something uh that I'll never ever ever forget that I greatly cherish uh I uh, I wish my dad was still around but he's not my mum travelled all the way from Brisbane, Australia. I had my wife and two sons with me, and I had uh, I had Phil Christensen, uh, Mr. Supercross from Australia, who gave me one of my biggest breaks in the early days. He was there with me as well. So, yeah, I'd say the 2019 Indy 500 was the biggest gobsmack moment. Look at that! So so happy for you, mate. Thank you, thank you for helping us to uh, close out. Our, our pre-Christmas guest roster for the year. I don't think I'm going to do a guest next week, which is what I'm kind of getting at here. Thank you, brother, for helping <laughs> us to, uh, frankly, take the year home and can't wait for us to get busy again. We talked about some stuff before we started recording. There's some there are some fun things brewing, dear fans of IndyCar. So all the silly season stuff, by no means done. And, uh, boy, seems like... St. Petersburg is going to be here right away. We know we're not going to Long Beach soon after that, so that's moved. But hopefully you can have a little bit of a break here, brother, and whatever uncertainty and oddities come our way. I know you and the team are going to do a great job of handling them and delivering great IndyCar content for us. Thanks, mate. Yeah, thanks. And it's really really great to see... uh, Whenever you keep us up to date with the amount of uh, downloads and, and listens that you have for this show, I mean, it just uh, it reflects the great job you do. Uh, but uh, it coupled with that, it reflects how many people are interested in listening to uh, to and about um, the NTT IndyCar series, uh, which is really um, fulfilling and heartwarming and encouraging all at the same time. That uh, because we've been talking, you and I have been talking about this for for probably the fast past certainly five to six years about the uptick and upswing and and the momentum that this series has and and now we're 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 not talking about it anymore we're living it and and seeing it and witnessing it and you're writing about it and i'm talking about it you know uh, weekend in weekend out which is which is really cool so thanks mate merry christmas happy holidays to you and and everybody who's listening to the podcast and uh, look forward to a big year next year 